Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The long winter period is almost over. Penn State announcing that they'll have their media availability for max testing this week. And spring practice schedule is out. I'm your host, Thomas Rankar. Today on the BWI Live Show, we're going full spring football. We are going to preview what we think, what we're interested in, some of the things that we're looking at for, for spring football. And we're featuring some great articles written by our own senior editor, Nate Bauer, about what he saw when he went back and looked at the historical perspective of Penn State recruiting, or excuse me, of recruiting over the last 10 years when it comes to five-star prospects. So let's introduce the panel and get to some of our conversations today. Not only that, this is such a busy week. The NFL Combine also starts uh, this week today with drills getting on later in the week. So let's introduce the panel. Uh, Nate Bauer, Senior Editor of Blue White Illustrated. Nate, what's your 40 time? <laughs> uh pass what what happens if you what happens if you can't complete it uh then we're we'll, for a time we'll just take you off the draft board uh dave eckert yeah. has a long yeah. stride i think he'd be more of a vertical leap guy uh dave can you touch the rim of a basketball hoop uh yes barely <laughs> and he's like but, he's like six four six five yeah. so an athletic trio here is not my thing <laughs> Starting off hot on the BWI Live Show, I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. If you're listening to the show here live on YouTube, welcome to the party. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, if you would, just quickly, some some housekeeping here. Like the video. Just give it a like right now, and that way, if you're here each week, we have a, a loyal, dedicated following a group here. I appreciate all you guys being here. If you'd support us that way, that'd be awesome. And then if you want to, share with your friends so that we can have a party. What we do each week is we get you involved with your questions coming up in just a little bit. And, of course, we take a look at spring football. That's going to be our uh, prediction game today. All three of us are going to make a prediction. You're going to vote on it, and at the end of the show, you get to decide the winner. So bring your friends in. Let's have a great time today on the last day of February. It even feels like spring outside, Nate. I know it's uh, I, I like water coming That's into it. my apartment. Yeah, no, there's there's like uh, we, we were, uh, my wife and I were away over the weekend and uh, came back to, I mean, there's like a solid three inches of ice on my windshield oh you still. came back to that <laughs> yeah although texas was just as cold so um ha have not felt any of the getaway vibe but i'm hoping to rectify that very very soon uh dave we're gonna start you with some hot takes from the combine what are you looking at this week who's the most important player indianapolis in indianapolis for penn state I think Penn State is going to collectively test well, T. Frank. That is my bold <laughs> prediction. Um, Such a bold yeah, prediction. One. Yeah, I know. Actually, uh, I was reading a, a transcript of Daniel Jeremiah's, who he was doing in interviews. He does like uh, mock drafts and draft analysis for the NFL Network. And someone was like, uh, <laughs> the, the question he was asked was led into with, Penn State guys typically test well at the Combine. And, and he just like, in the transcript interrupts and he's like uh yeah yeah they do <laughs> um but but as far as you know who i'm i'm looking at who had who needs to have a big week um you know the guy that i keep landing on is jesse Buchetta, just because i think his his position transition little rhyme there for you um on this monday afternoon is is interesting um he hasn't maybe shown the production that you would like to see um, at that position, um, if you're if you're gonna use a use a draft pick on him, so he's gonna need to do well um, with his testing. Uh, Brandon Smith, probably another guy who fits into that category. 
Um, he's going to have to test well um, mm-hmm. to kind of prove his prove his ability because he maybe didn't have the production on the football field. So guys that fall into that mold are really who I'm looking for. Nate, of course, we'll have coverage of the Combine over at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. Have that every year, uh, and uh, th- this year will be no different. So make sure you subscribe for just a dollar. You get to the message board where you can get my inside insight into the Combine process, into the players live as they are on the NFL Network. Nate will be there as well uh, on the message board, that is. You're not going to Indianapolis. But uh, do you I'm have not. any thoughts about some... I don't want to say breaking news, but some new news this week about Penn State football, their media availabilities, and something that I noticed right away about spring football. What can you tell us about the update from Penn State? Man, you're just you're just teeing me up, right? I get to hit this one out of the park. No, so uh, James Franklin's March 21st press conference will be in person for the first time in a, a very, very long time. Now... There's a caveat to that, which is all of his post-game availabilities on the field after really everything, uh, except for, I believe, the Outback Bowl was inside. Um, but every every other, right, like post-game has been in person. It's just we, ha- we haven't had a traditional formal press conference with James Franklin sitting at a podium in Beaver Stadium and the media in chairs, right? Like surrounding him in forever, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're, you're literally talking back to uh, maybe February 2020. So, you know, uh, just more signs of uh, getting back to something approximating normal um, that I think is, is fairly well welcomed, uh, certainly among among the media, right? Looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. And and I think it's important to point that out too because it, it could be construed as this is us talking about inside baseball, things that we care about that are important to our job. But yeah. if this leads to contact with players again, Nate, I mean, yeah. you, guys, you guys know this of like not just having the conversation on Zoom, but if you can have those conversations with players, you can get to know them a little bit better. Not everything has to be on the record. You can get better context out of things. You can do your job better if you have the ability to uh, fill in the gaps and get some details out of people that they may not be willing to or may not be able to share when everything's on camera and recorded. Is that, is that a fair way to look at that, Dave? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, in general, I think it's just, it creates a more relaxed environment when these guys don't feel like they're speaking to 40 people at once, you know, um, you can just have like a casual conversation with somebody. And those are the conversations where you really learn things. Um, so definitely from our perspective, it helps us do our job. Um, you know, I think if you look at people who cover not only college football, but some of the the professional leagues, you often see them advocating for like locker room access to come back and stuff, because that's where you get that kind of information. Um, that's really valuable for, for fans. So I think this is good news for everybody. I'm excited about it. So we'll get to, uh, some of that stuff in a little bit, but let's, let's talk about our, our first topic of the show today, which is the, uh, great work that Nate did this uh, past week, taking a look at historical perspective to give some facts and figures to the emotion around having three five-star football players in the class of 2022, two of which are on campus right now and will be participating in spring football. So, Nate, you went back and you looked at 10 years. Was it 10 years worth of uh, Ten recruiting? Years. 10 Ooh. years of recruiting. Yeah, I know. To see how they uh, not, did in their first year on campus for their prospective teams. So yep. let's start with the quarterback because that's what everybody wants to know. Drew Aller comes in early enrollee, five-star. What is what you found of players that came in with certain similar expectations and a similar ranking? Yeah, so and these were not all quarterbacks who went to um, – you know, necessarily like well-oiled machines, right? Like it, it, it's not as though we're ta- we're talking only about Alabama, you know, five-star quarterbacks who come in and there's already a five-star quarterback going into his junior season, right? Um, these are a variety of programs 
And the biggest takeaway was, for the most part, uh, first-year five-star quarterbacks don't play. Like, bottom line is uh, either they play in a like a reserve backup role. Uh, occasionally, you've seen some guys, um, you know, ascend right through the through the course of the season. There were a handful of guys who 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 kind of climbed the ladder and by maybe late October, November started, you know, became the starting quarterback. Um, but just overwhelmingly, you, you had guys either redshirt um, or, or actually mostly redshirt. Right. And so like that was that was the big takeaway for me is that certainly Sean Clifford's presence is something to consider in itself. Right. Like that, you, you can't look at Penn State's situation at quarterback and the expect set the expectations for Drew Aller without including the fact that Penn State has a starter who is returning. Right. Uh, that that is a a central caveat. But beyond that just taking into context everything that has happened over the last 10 years of, of college football. And I was looking at two actually in this case, because Aller is uh, number two technically in the rankings overall nationally, overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly those guys uh, did not play or had very, very limited roles. So that I think is a fair, one of the things that I notice is even guys that did play and you mentioned this of guys that most of them redshirted, very few started the season. Some of them came in maybe a month into the season or came in after a loss. So yep. that's really, I, I that's something that I've been saying since the very beginning of don't, even my best projections of Drew Aller, he is a smart guy. He has done a great job of learning football at his level, but it's just different in college. So the time it takes to get into the rhythm of an offense and understand and pick things up, uh, you know, if you get closer to a year, he enrolled in January, October. That's I think that's a fair assessment, and that's early. That's fast for what I would consider enough time to learn the nuances of the position at that level. Running back and defensive end, little bit different than quarterback. So where do you want to go next? Do you want to go Singleton? You want to stay on the offense? Uh, sh sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that that Singleton is not necessarily a direct right. Like it's not as clear cut as quarterback was um just in that you have more of a mix right yeah i mean got typically they don't become the top running back uh at least in my reflection over the 10 years they don't typically become the top running back but most of them play and most of them you know get some kind of a split role yeah. right so i mean i think i think with singleton just given the situation again like trying to translate it to what penn state has yeah, you, you could see a situation where Singleton is too good to not have on the field, probably not good enough or right, like blow you away good enough from the immediate onset to just take the starting job, uh, but but land somewhere in the middle, right? And so, and you know, even beyond that, that James Franklin's preference and what Penn State has been doing over the last few years is they they expect to play three running backs yeah. at least. Right. Like two who kind of split carries at the top and then a third who appears in, in you know, more of a situational role or, or or a little bit less of a role. But is my presumption that Nick Singleton will work his way into the three? Absolutely. It's just trying to distinguish him as, hey, he's going to take this job and be the guy. And like, that's it. Kevon Lee is not going to be part of the equation. No, I, I don't think so. Not not based on the trends over the last ten years. In even Nate, at Penn what, State, to what extent? Sorry, T. Frank, I'm just curious. To, to what extent do you think that the data that we're looking at is influenced by, you know, a lot of these these five star kids that you're comparing the history to going to, you know, elite programs at who might already have elite players in the positions that they're competing for as you know. Penn State maybe doesn't in this in this case. Um, you know, there's a, I think that there's a little bit of that, right? Miles Sanders is one of them, right? So you can you can at mm -hmm. least look at some, and that was kind of the interesting thing is in two of these cases, looking at quarterback and running back, Penn State has an example, yeah. right? So Hackenberg mm -hmm. at at quarterback was one of the exceptions of a guy who came in, and like those were 
extraordinary circumstances for Penn State. Sanders came into a world where Saquon Barkley existed, right? And so Sanders' story is actually very interesting in that, I mean, it really took him two years. Like, he didn't even play that much as a sophomore in terms of his actual carries and impact. Um, but beyond that, no, like, Dave, I think, I think there were opportunities, right? I mean, uh, if you if you look at some of the guys here, right? Like uh, Derrick Henry, right, came into Alabama, and you're right, like Derrick Derrick Henry entered a world where T.J. Yeldon, or right, T.J. Yeldon was yeah. already at Alabama. Uh, Leonard Fournette came in at uh, LSU, and but LSU didn't have like a stud, a star there. Um, and he, but he sure. kind of climbed into that role. Like he became the top guy, but it took some time to get there. I mean, like if, if I could bottom line, all of this is that for those two positions, quarterback and running back, it, it, it was exceptionally rare for somebody to come in as a true freshman and just claim the job. Um, and so like, regardless of the circumstances, that was the, the primary takeaway. The the situation is so important for quarterback and 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 running back less so, but you're right with the the with the trend towards splitting carries and and that I think is the, is the the way to get on the field for a young running back is splitting carries, not dominating as you as you mentioned. Um, how do, does early enrollee Nick Singleton change that as opposed to? guy who gets on campus in August or gets on campus even in, in June or July, as opposed to getting here for a lifting cycle and spring practice, because that is a, over those 10 years, that's a rule that's changed. Do you think that has an influence on the situation for guys now as opposed to in the past? I, I mean, I think it makes them more prepared for sure. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, they're, they're, they're more ready to contribute in whatever way they can right off the bat. Yeah, but um, you know, I I don't think I I I don't think that it is like unreasonable to expect him to to set a bottom line expectation that he will play right. Mm -hmm. Like that has overwhelmingly been true as well. Uh, it's just it's just probably not reasonable. Again, give in this history, in this context, and understanding on top of that what Penn State has coming back. To, to just expect, hey, like, that's it. Singleton's the guy, and he's going to run away with it, and that's that's going to be kind of the end of the conversation. Like, I think that that it is safe to say that would be an unfair expectation. BWI Live here on Monday. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question, you want to throw it in the chat. We're going to be getting to your questions uh, a little bit later in the show. We're talking about the projection and reasonable projections based on evidence from the last 10 years of recruiting for Penn State's five-star players. Now, we mentioned two players that are early enrollees in the program, Drew uh, Aller and Nick Singleton. One guy that is not an early enrollee, denied Dennis Sutton, but your work on defensive ends actually opened my eyes a little bit to something different than what I expected, even knowing how high highly I view Dennis Sutton's game coming out of high school was that defensive ends much more productive than I expected on the whole. There were very few guys that didn't do anything. Yep. Yep. No, they, they, they all play literally like there were 10 examples and all of them played and all of them were productive. I mean, uh, I think one of the guys, there was somebody in there who tore an ACL before the season and didn't, wasn't able to play. But overall, if you look back at that 10 year history, um, you know, you're looking at five to 10 TFLs. You had a couple of guys in there who were like conference freshmen of the year. Um, it, it was, it, it's just a position that aligns very directly with some of what James Franklin said during kind of the signing day press conference in December about Dennis Sutton being ready to come in and, make an impact like right, right away because it's, yes, it's, it's Dennis Sutton's uh, readiness. Right. But it's also, this is a position that you can do that. You, yeah. you can, you can make that direct splash right off the bat. And certainly given the research that I did, uh, it seems to suggest that 
that's very true. Like that, that is something that can absolutely happen at defensive end uh, and specific to, to Dennis Sutton can happen with him. And, and uh, Dave, it's, it's a position Petsy needs. We're we'll, we'll going to this next week when it comes to spring practice, but you know, it, the, the, this is ripe for an opportunity of the three. It would seem that Dennis Sutton could have possibly the biggest impact. Would you, would you say that's fair? And is that what you sort of expect next season? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, you look at the picture at defensive end and, you know, the, the guy that you might be leaning most heavily on at, at this point in time where we don't have a ton of information is Adisa Isaac, who didn't play last year because he was injured. So, you know, I mean, there's there's a ton of, of variance that can happen here. Um, and I think to an extent, running back feels not quite like that, but maybe similar, but definitely defensive end feels ripe for, okay, we have a true freshman who's a stud. We're going to give him a chance. No doubt. Uh, get your questions in, in the chat. And if you want to donate to the channel, super chats are always super appreciated. And uh, we'll make sure we get to your question here in just a little bit. We're going through Penn state's five star players coming into class of 2022. They've added another one. The on 300 is out today. So if you want to check out the updated recruiting rankings for the class of 2023, that would be uh, Javen Williams up to 11 now in the class of 2023. So Penn State with another top 15 player committed in the next cycle. We'll be getting to all of that this week. Of course, coming up tomorrow on the BWI Daily Edition, uh, Greg Pickle and Ryan Snyder are going to break down what's going on in the class of 2023 and the updates with that. We'll have more information all week long, but that's what we're getting to, and that's going to give us a good transition into what we're going to talk about in the next segment here, which is spring practice. The roster is set for spring practice. Now we're going to go through in detail. We've talked about this on a high level. What we were looking for, a big picture of you know, individual players that we want to see more, we want to learn more about. Now we're going to go through over the next two weeks, the offense and the defense by position and guys that are either important to us to learn more or important to the position to get a better sense of what's going to be a reasonable expectation for the fall. So, of course, we'll start at quarterback. Um, Dave, I want you to go first. Who is the quarterback you want to learn more about or who's important to you in spring practice? Uh, Drew Alar. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 the answer, isn't it? Like, uh, five-star kid, everybody's going crazy about him. You know, I mean, what's he got? What, how's, how's he been doing? What's he been doing in the on-field workouts? What's he been doing in the weight room? How is he going to perform in spring practice? I mean, all of these things are going to be important and eye-opening and exciting and i just think i mean he's going to be one of the major stories of of, of spring practice so it's going to it would be hard for me not to pick him uh, nate we're coming to you here on this topic who are you looking at at the quarterback position uh same sorry i hate to do it um you know look like <laughs> i think we can have at least a cursory conversation about what to expect from Sean Clifford in terms of, you know, is he healthy this spring? Like what, where, where is he at on his trajectory? But um, you know, yeah, like it's, it's, it's really a fairly straightforward assessment or equation of can anybody contend with him to take his job, right? Like uh, whoever it is uh, it, it, it really is less important to know the person who it might be as opposed to whether or not it's even possible. Um, because I think that, you know, look like just trying to be uh, honest about this. It's hard to, it's hard to envision Sean Clifford being anything other than what he's been over the last three years. Right. Like, and I, I know that you've expressed that frustration of like, there's, there's no more analysis to give. He, he is who he is. And yeah. we kind of understand that at this point. And so it's just it's just a, a question of knowing who and what he is, what his strengths are, what his weaknesses are. Is anybody in that room, whether it's the true freshman or Christian Bayou, prepared or in a position to truly challenge him, like yeah. to truly give him a run for his money? Because it's not it's not necessarily just about this spring. It's about what what does the rest of the summer look like? Like what does August look like? Is that yeah. can can you possibly envision a an august what 
an August twentieth uh, James Franklin, you know, media availability where he says, "Yeah, Sean Clifford's our starter, but we, um, you know, it's always an open competition, and so we haven't yet made our decision. We're gonna let you know." on uh september 1st the night of the first game of the season like is that is that a even a remote possibility right yeah and and that's why i'm going with christian veyu because we had this conversation several times this offseason and and this spring is going to inform a lot to me about whether or not there is somebody that can challenge him because Nate, you just laid it all out of the, the freshman quarterbacks that have come in and played early. It's either you had to because there was nobody else with Christian Hackenberg. Like he was the guy that had to play or it was due to injury or it was after a loss in the middle of the season when the die has really been cast. Your season is what it is. And then the, the quarterback, the freshman quarterback comes in to try and salvage the rest of it. So if if there's going to be an answer that isn't Sean Clifford, it's going to be Christian Veyu. It's going to be him unless, you know, unless there's a magical outlier, unless unless he's uh, unless you have a guy like uh, like Trevor Lawrence. And even then you had Kelly Bryant, who was the starter that took uh, Clemson into, I believe, a playoff run or like a really good season before then. Irrespective of that, like the guy who has the best opportunity, who's been through the program one season already was an early enrollee him an early enrollee himself and. Uh, you know, has the opportunity to push for playing time because he's the current number two is Christian Veyu. So the answer for the start of the season, and it's it's his, it may be his last opportunity. It may be, and not to be dramatic, but it may be that where he has an opera, he has a window here to establish himself as a contender for that starting position and to make up all that ground we talked about, and then. After that, who knows? Because it's going to be an open competition in 2023. So he needs to make a move now in the spring, and that's what I'm going to see is, okay, are we writing him off? Is he going to get lost in the wash of these two young players, or is he going to assert himself? So that's kind of where I look at that. Running back, this one actually is more split than I thought. Dave, you haven't talked in a while. <laughs> um, I'm going with Nick Singleton. I guess I'm just rolling with the, the freshman five stars here. Uh, but actually, the reason that I picked Nick Singleton um, is because I was talking to um, Dane Miller, who trains Javen Williams and also trains Nick Singleton last week. And just while talking to him about Javen Williams, he, he mentioned that there is a strong possibility that that um, that Nick puts up some serious numbers in the weight room this week that is going to make him a story. <laughs> um, so I'm excited about seeing what those numbers are and if those numbers you know are impressive then i think he's he's going to be talked about and he's just going to be the story of the position group if he isn't already because you know five star running backs carry a certain amount of hype so i think to me he's the guy that i'm most intrigued about heading into the spring um regardless of what happens this week uh but i am curious to see if if what he does in the weight room jacks up the uh the excitement a little bit it's been a little bit quiet. He was uh, only once was he a winter workout standout winner thing, which is there. There's one more of those coming up this week, Nate. So I'm going to ask you that question and then give me your player that you're looking for in the spring. Yeah, there should, I mean, there should be there should be two more. I two think more. there should okay. be an on field on Tuesday and Thursday. Um, no, I, I got I got Kevon Lee and uh, because, you know, I want to see where. Like there, there has been this consistent theme in off seasons of that being a possibility, right? At that position, guys can change themselves, how they play, what their approach is. Um, like it, I'm not saying it's a flip of a switch, but between the end of the season and the start of spring practice, you, you know, you've worked with three months. You can change your body a little bit. You can change um, your preparedness for that position. And so Lee, you know, look like taking for whatever they're worth, right? Like, I mean, I don't, I don't think that we should put that much stock into these winter workout top performer, you know, citations that the, the Penn State's assistant coaching staff is giving out on a weekly basis. But 
yeah, the fact that he won three of them in a row, like that he was acknowledged by Jaywan Sider as that guy at that position. Yeah. Understanding what the competition is. Yeah, I'm intrigued. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I want to see what he looks like. I, you know, it. It's. A, I. I don't want to make this a, a debate about the about because that's. But my mind keeps going to there of yes, but when it comes to my guy, um, because it's also because I'm going last. Like you make a great point, but Nate, you don't get that much faster. You just like you. You can. You can become a better athlete but you're only born with a certain number of fast twitch muscle fibers. And Kevon Lee, like Sean Clifford, I feel like I have a very clear picture of what he is as a football player. And he's going to slot into that role, and he can be very valuable. But they need speed. And to me, the dark horse has been Kaziah Holmes, because, yes, Nick Singleton is going to just kind of like, I'm looking at these guys where this is their time. They've got to make a move or else they're going to get passed by by very talented football players. And I thought Keziah Holmes has been the most talented of that group of running backs this time. So I'm going to go with Keziah Holmes as another one of those players that if he doesn't, we might see him, you know, down the depth chart. And then we all know what happens after that. Let's go through this one quickly. Dave, I'm going to get to you for uh, we're going to lump receivers together. Receivers and tight ends. Give me both of those that you're looking at for 20 uh the 2022 spring um so i've got malik mega um just because i think he's a guy with exciting physical tools who kind of made a move late last season um who has a ton of upside and is still just kind of learning even though he's been here for a little while is is still learning the finer points of american football and and what penn state needs from him so um just with 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 all that kind of put together he's somebody that i've always been interested in and and this spring is, is really no different for me um and then at tight end it's it's theo johnson um because i think he's won like three or four of the winter workout things he's clearly uh the standout guy there um and again he's he's a younger guy who has who has the room to progress and penn state i think kind of needs somebody to to progress at that position so for me, he's the guy who's most likely to do so. So he's the guy that I'm watching. Nate, coming to you, give me your pass catchers that you're looking for this spring. So Mitchell Tinsley, the the Western Kentucky transfer receiver, is look like he he comes in with a, a, a good amount of experience, and I, I don't know if enough hype, honestly, like for a guy who was that productive and did that much in his career before getting to Penn state and has right four four years under his belt. Like that's significant. That's a significant addition for Penn state. Um, so yeah, so him for sure. And then at, at, I echo Dave at Theo um, for tight end. I mean, he just, he's a guy who Penn state does well as an offense when it's tight end is heavily involved. I don't know if Brenton strange is that guy bottom line, right? Like, I don't know if, if Brenton can be that pass catching tight end. Theo seems to have some of the tools to be able to do that. We'll see if he's, uh, you know, managed to take that step this spring. Yeah. The, the, the talent seems to be there for, um, Brenton strange, but something's holding him back. I would agree completely with that. And the guy that looked like he was taking over those reps is Theo Johnson. That's why I'm we're lockstep on Theo Johnson as far as the guy at tight end. Now, to me, the one I keep hearing about that I want to see more of because I know so very little about him is Harrison Wallace. Because we heard about him, um, I think he was you know one of the players that was mentioned during bowl practice. He was a player mentioned during winter conditioning. I just keep hearing his name more than the other young receivers. So let's see it. I want to see something because his tape, you know, coming from my, my film evaluations of these players in high school, I have a baseline understanding of who Caden Saunders and Anthony Ivy and, and Liam Clifford are. But Harrison Wallace's tape was just him running nine routes, just go balls and touchdowns. There's not a lot in there as far as like, what are his skills at the position? So I genuinely want to know more about him. So let's get to the offensive line. And I had to overrule you guys because you wanted to go O-line blanket statement and give me one. But if there's anything I know about our chat and our listeners and viewers is that we've done too good of a job educating them. So we got to go offensive tackle and interior. So Dave, lead us off again. Give me your offensive tackle you're watching in uh, 
in in spring practice. And I do this, by the way, to protect you guys, because if we didn't do that, we'd hear about it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Um, thank you, T. Frank, for your protection. I will go. I will go with. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I will go with Olufashanu as my tackle, um, just because again he's a guy that I feel like Penn State needs to progress. Um, it's a pick that I'm kind of making more out of the circumstances than that Penn State is is currently experiencing, rather than just like anything to do with the player, but. Um, and really, like, I don't – Landon Tengwall, obviously, I know he played some tackle and some guard this year. I don't really know where I should stick him. But right. um, obviously, he's another guy that Penn State needs to jump from. Um, so, yeah, I'll go, I'll go half and half here. Okay, Nate, what about you? What tackle are you looking at? Well, I, I mean, Dave's like – I don't – where, where do you have Tengwall? Uh, well, I have him <laughs> – okay. Right now, I have him at tackle. Like as the swing tackle, he's the backup to the the two that are the starters. Because outside of that, I don't I don't see anybody else that stepped up to play at that position. But I also have him starting at guard in my mind as far as where he is on the depth chart. So that's yeah, I think he's valid at either position. What? Where do you have Efner? Uh, same. Uh, well, the same position. He's he's the swing guy, but he's the backup to four positions along the offensive line. But he might be one that gets lost in the wash. Because, yeah, I, I thought he he was good in certain situations at tackle as a run blocker, but then in passing situations, he really struggled, albeit it was against Ohio State. But if you're a swing player, you've got to come in at any time, at any position, and you've got to make plays and not make mistakes. And, and he struggled when he played tackle against Michigan State and tackle against um, uh, Ohio State. So, I mean, I might be talking myself into guard, and then at that point, there are too many players and too many bodies there for me to know what to do with them i i i think that and and maybe this is a larger conversation for a different time but it it I, looking across you know the entirety of the roster right i i wonder how many actual like with efner as my example how realistic is it for him to push anybody at any position for a starting job in, in the spring, in the preseason. Um, maybe Tangwall's the same. Like, I, I don't, I'm not really sure. I mean, it just seems like there, there are so many positions that have swing backups, right? Yeah. For, for lack of a better term, just guys who are kind of, they're moving along. The trajectory is coming, but like, there's no, not, air apparent is the wrong word. It's somebody to take the job. Yeah. Like take it away from you. Like your career is going fine and you think things are going well. And then one day you wake up and the younger guy behind you took your job. Yeah. I'm not sure how much of that is out there. And yeah, I, I mean, I do think that that's a big question for Penn state to answer this spring is whether or not those guys exist, because if they don't, it like, I, I, I it's a problem. It's a problem for the program because it, it, it is the, the element that drives a program forward. And I think that that's a, an element that Penn state probably was lacking last year, might've yeah. been lacking the year before and really needs to happen moving forward. I think the interior, you have that this year. So the, the interior players, there is that the only situation, and we'll get into the weeds here a little bit. I'm going to go with Caden Wallace because 
you're right. I don't see anybody on the roster, and and they're looking in the portal to bring in depth at tackle. That is one thing that we've. They're looking for another offensive lineman. So with that in mind, who's going to be the backup tackle, and is anyone able to push the starters? Olafashano seems like he's locked in. He's played like seventy snaps, and he's the starter, and there's no question about it. Uh, Caden Wallace has the opportunity to get better this year. He can. I was talking with one of our message board members, another great reason to sign up for just a dollar, so you can have these conversations with us directly uh, and be on the BWI Lions Den message board. SJ and I were talking about this uh, when it comes to Caden Wallace. It's not the physical tools. It seems to be the balance and the feet are an issue with Caden Wallace. Balance you can fix. Like, that is a core strength. That's a, that's a, you're technically on point. You're anticipating. You're using your mind correctly to put yourself in the right situation. I felt like he was so new to the position of actually playing in space and blocking and things like that. There is space for him to develop. But, like, if they wanted to create competition and they wanted to see if Landon Tangwell could play tackle, I think Landon Tangwell could push him to play tackle. That's the only place that I could see that at the tackle position. So that's why I'm going with Caden Wallace. But uh, Nate, I think you're spot on with that of tackle is set. So then it's, then it's just about, okay, are your starters developing? Caden Wallace seems to be the guy who's going to push himself and has the internal motivation and the intelligence to take it to the next level, but he does have to do it. Like it has to happen. So then let's take a look at the, at the interior position, knowing that Vega Yuane is coming in in this class later as a guy that James Franklin said physically could contribute at some point early in his career, but that's not right now. That is, uh, you know, we're looking at spring practice. So, Dave, go back to you to start us off again. Who's the interior guy you're looking at that you want to know more about or a guy that's critical in this situation? Yeah, uh, it's it's Sal Wormley. Um, you know, he's a guy that, you know, Nate reported that that was going to be a, a starter for Penn State this season until he got injured. Um, he didn't play all year. Where is he at physically? Is he still in line to be an impact guy? Um, you know, I mean, these are questions that are going to be crucial, not only for Penn State's offensive line, but maybe for Penn State's season. So uh, for me, he is the guy to watch at this position. Ben Bainey says that uh, I have a Wallace bias because I went with Caden and Harrison Wallace. If I had ever watched Braveheart, I'd make a joke here about William Wallace, but I don't have that in me. So, Nate, save us here from my terrible humor and give me your <laughs> interior player. Um, I You know, I think there's probably a, an overlooked uh, conversation to be had about Juice as a center. Um, you know, is, is that move permanent? Is that happening? How do we feel about his potential there? Like, it's an important position. I mean, I, reflecting on many of Penn State's best years, like that was a position that had a guy who people were talking about, right? Like, yeah. um, yep, a, a, a ship. Like, I don't know. You just name it. Uh, that has been the case, and so. Is is Juice that like is yeah. is he primed and ready to to take on that role? Is he a guy who can fulfill that? Um, you know, because it's not. I, I think at this point in. You know, the context of of how Penn State football has played like. I I hate myself for sounding like this, but like I think serviceable would be something that most Penn state fans would be happy with in terms of the performance of the offensive line. Yeah. Like that. I, I mean, I, I don't just I'm getting not your head to, to above water. Like not, you don't have right. to be surfing. Just make sure you're doing a doggy paddle and you're not drowning. That that's, that seems to be the way it feels. And I, I agree with you. This is where I would disagree in that. I feel like there's much more depth and competition on the interior. Cause you bring up a really a valid question and Hunter Norzad, when he talked to our guys, Greg and Ryan, coming in, that he, he talked about, he he's open to playing center. He'd like to try play center. He'll they'll do what's best for the team, but he also, you know, that's that that door is open. So there's competition there in my mind. And then it comes to the guard positions. Landon Tangwall, he's starting somewhere. It seems to me Penn State wants him at guard. If it's not a guard, then you have the conversation about where does Caden Wallace play? Does he kick inside that competition? J.B. Nelson, all of those guys. There seems to be more options on the interior to push this year as opposed to last season where things didn't quite work out through injury and some guys just not developing. I would be shocked 
if we didn't see there be more competition and honestly more guys play. Even if you don't have him starting, JB Nelson should see some time. Like uh, he would have to not take a step at all from Lackawanna to be a factor in the spring and then in the fall. I, I just I see too many guys with talent there now. I I think I think that this warrants mentioning um, because it always it strikes me what you just said. Phil Troutwine last year, last preseason, said he wanted to have ten at mm-hmm. least play. That's not what happened. That is not what happened. And like, yeah. I think it has been a consistent storyline at Penn State where what's said before the season and even during the season about building depth and having more of a rotation like has absolutely not come to fruition. Yeah. They have five, like there are five and those guys play like, consi- like look at the PFF mm-hmm. snap counts. Every single year, it is the quarterback and five offensive linemen take up the top six spots. Like, every year. And so, at what point does that change? Is this the year or is it not the year? And I, I don't have an answer for that right now. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to, that's, that's, I think, the biggest thing to watch in the spring. Like, we ended at the right spot is the interior and does that bleed over to the outside, to the tackles? Is, is there finally competition and are guys making moves our guys developing at some level uh so we'll get to the questions now in the chat there's a couple of uh questions here that i want to get to and then we're going to transition to our our game today so this is going to have to be pretty quick because we need to get to uh our also we need to get to our basketball conversation always have a good time talking football with you guys so let's throw this one in here Sorry, this is going to be a little uh, rough and dirty. Most backups in the Big Ten got more snaps than quarterback Christian Veyu. Every team but Maryland, Michigan State, and Minnesota. What does that say about our staff? Do you think this is an indictment of some kind of uh, the staff that JC is saying that Christian Veyu didn't see any snaps last season? Uh, Nate, I want to go to you, and we got to move through again. we got to move through these a little quickly. Uh, no, I, I mean, I think it says that Will Levis transferred. That's what I think it says. Um, if Will Levis doesn't transfer, the backup plays more, that they're unwilling, especially in an early season schedule that is just glossed over, over and over and over again, that did not provide those opportunities. Like, And we talked about it, T. Frank. There was, I, I believe it was the Villanova game, or maybe it was Ball State, but one of those two games stood out as a, hey, they better be up by 45 at the half yeah. so that the backups can get reps, and it didn't happen. Yep. Um, so that's what I think it says. Not only did it not happen, but they then kept the quarterback in longer to get him more reps you know, in the offense. So, Dave, I want you to answer this next question. Zach wants you to predict, will Penn State's offense turn into a potent one in the next two to three years, uh, assuming Yursich stays for that long with recruiting the way it's going? Um, I guess just like playing around with the definition of potent, I'm just going to say like pretty good to good. <laughs> um, yes. Right. Okay. I mean, Mike Gersich is a guy who has done it at every place that he's been. Um, Penn State is recruiting at a very high level. Um, yeah. Yes. I think they will. I want to apologize to M Shav too, one of our supporters. He got in a, a uh, super chat a bit ago, and I, I should have gotten to this one first, so I apologize. I want to make sure we answer this one. Give us an idea of what practice reps look like from a quarterback standpoint. Are the threes and fours separated from the top of the depth chart and Yursich? Uh Nate, can you give us some insight into practice and how it's structured as far as are all of the quarter? I think the question is here, are all of the quarterbacks yeah. getting instruction from Mike Yursich or some guys put to the side and then the main guys are getting uh development. So I, I want either of you to correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it's standing out is that Kirk Sharaka, I'm reading between the lines here only gave reps to the first team, mm-hmm. like only did reps to the top quarterback. Uh, and some of what James Franklin has said has seemed to suggest that, Yursich is better or has an approach. I don't know if it's necessarily better or not of divvying those reps up. Right. I mean, but once you like, there's a, there's a difference between spring practice and the preseason. And once you start getting into game week, because once you get into game week, it's one and two and that's it. Like the third, they don't exist. Uh, They're they're over with the scout team. 
Well, and you know, like the fourth team, I think that the third team stays with the top two guys for mm-hmm. one reps, like good on scout team. But um, no, I mean, I, I think that there's there's definitely more opportunity in the spring, and those guys get some. I mean, I, I would be very surprised if it was exclusively the Sean Clifford show this yeah. spring. It also helps that it's year two of the offense. So we talk about uh, Mike Yersich having to plow over rep into Sean Clifford to get him ready. Kirk Scirocco was doing the same thing. Like, it's been two years in a row of getting the guy that's going to play ready for primetime, right, Dave? Yeah, definitely. And I guess, again, like, what do we mean by reps? Because if we're talking like, you know, like game situation reps, that's a different thing than, okay, Mike Yersich is over here with all four of the guys as they're throwing routes to, to wide receivers, which we've seen um, in, in the portion of practice that we, we've gotten to, to attend. So, you know, I mean, he's working with all of them. It's just, I, you know, if we're talking like, uh, okay, the offense is lining up against the scout team defense, that's a different story. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that it, it's uh, it's going to be a little bit more equitable this year. And I apologize, we're, we're running out of time here. I want to make sure we get to everything on the show. And we've got to get to our prediction game because I think right now we're tied one apiece through, the, through doing this. So we need to get to this because somebody has to have a lead here. The question today, which Penn State player will be the standout of spring football? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put the uh, players up here for you right now, and then I'm going to open up the chat so that we can have about five minutes worth of voting. So we have Dave with Nick Singleton. We have Nate with Jordan Vandenberg, who undercut me and took my guy. And then I took Jalen Reed. Why, Nate, did you pick Jordan Vandenberg as your player that's going to be the standout of spring football? Well, first of all, you you phrased it as a person who you we have to be surprised by. I think am I is that fair? Uh, no, just so my what, the way I was thinking about it was last year, James Franklin at the end of spring practice, and the the whole thing was Kalen King, Kalen King, Kalen King last year. Uh, and then he was the most ready freshman we've ever seen. So he was the standout of spring football. He was the name coming out of spring football that we knew and that we were talking about. Um, and that, that informed a lot of what we talked about later the summer and then in fall camp. So that's who I was thinking of. Okay. All right. Well, then maybe I'm, I, I don't know. I mean, I still feel good about Jordan Vandenberg just because I think that he is a person who they will be talking about, who Penn State will be talking about. Penn State fans will be talking about. I don't know if he's like a stud. I, you know, like I don't know if it's fair to put that expectation on him. But a a person who one is not a true freshman, right? Like he he's got two years of playing college football now under his belt. Um, he's gonna play. Like he's gonna play, and I think he'll be an active part of that interior defensive line. So, yeah, no, I mean, I think I think certainly in terms of the like who is in the consciousness of Penn State fans today um, versus who will be in the consciousness in at the end of April. Like he's the guy who I would say would be the biggest change. So, Dave, you went with the obvious one in everyone's conscience with Nick Singleton. Is it just because Mm -hmm. of that and because you wanted to win or is it because you feel there's going to be something going on? You play to win the game. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean, come on. Like, I, he's he's an elite prospect who can feasibly play in his first year at a position where Penn State needs major improvement. He's got excellent athleticism. He's going to be one of the strongest guys in the position group. He's, you know, I mean... He was the freaking Gatorade National Player of the Year. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on, what are we doing here? Uh, so yeah, Dave Singleton for me. I quit. Yeah, well, so here's the problem I always have because it's always like I'm going too deep. I'm thinking too too much about these things because you know it, it's it's my show and I think about these things so deeply. But who's a player that Penn State needs to have step up and has the opportunity to do so? And has a head start. Jalen Reed played it last season. He is a 
he is a sophomore player who is presumed starter on the safety position. And he's filling in for Jaquan Brisker, so there's going to be a lot of eyes there. And I think that he's going to have the opportunity this spring to turn some heads because he's got just, I, I, I call it predatory movement skills. Because when he moves, he looks like a, he looks like an animal on the hunt. And he finds the football regularly. So that's what I'm expecting from Jalen Reed in practice. Turnovers, big hits, you know, when he's allowed to. And then forced fumbles, things like that. I'm expecting impact plays from Jalen Reed and the way they're going to use him as long as everything continues from what we saw in uh, the Outback Bowl where he was that boundary safety dropping in the box. Uh, He's got to get bigger and stronger, so that is going to be informed by the end here in the testing numbers and what we hear there. But that's my guy because he's got the opportunity. He's still a bit of an unknown to most people, so it will have that sort of shock factor that Nate talked about, and that's why I'm right. I I got a Ben Bainey vote, so. (laughs) Right now it's tied, so we're going to leave it open for another couple minutes, and then uh, we're going to talk about basketball now because Penn State basketball had an opportunity to come down the stretch and do something special and make a run, and they've lost two of their last three. So, Dave... What happened with the turnovers? They've just been throwing the ball away lately. Yeah, they got caught playing at a pace last night that they literally have not played at all season. Penn State is a turtle. They play at one of the slowest paces in college basketball very intentionally. And Nebraska, who you know obliterated them last night, plays at one of the highest. And the game was played at Nebraska's pace. Penn State... Had no had had no response. Penn State was uncomfortable. They were they were sped up. Their defense was not set. Um, and really, that's the problem is is their defense was horrific. Um, you know, they they didn't get Nebraska into that slog where, you know, they're 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 just defending for twenty seconds out of every shot clock, and Nebraska's taking bad shots. Nebraska was getting whatever it wanted. So, yeah, um, turnovers were a problem. But to me, the real issue was on the defensive end of the court. Nate, same question. Yeah, I, what do you well, think? I, I think it just it was the beginning of the game. Going back and reflecting on how it transpired um, after the game, Michael Shrewsbury was very adamant that it was just defense, and I think it, on the whole he's right. But Penn State made its first five shots and then missed eight of its next next nine, and during that stretch, Nebraska just kept doing what it was doing, and so. Game started 8-8, 8-11, some, something like that, Dave. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but it was it was close to the first media timeout. And then Nebraska went on a run and got up by 10 to 15 and, like, never saw Penn State the rest of the way. Like, the race was over. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think that that it, – it was definitely a missed opportunity. I think that the offense hurt Penn State a little bit last night in that they, they – they missed some shots when they needed to keep pace. Um, and then Dave's right. Like Nebraska uh, has this reputation. And and I think that the larger reaction that I saw from Penn state fans was just like, Oh, this horrified. Oh my goodness. How did Nebraska do this? Nebraska's put up 80 plus on a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. They just give up 85 plus to those same people. And, and Penn state doesn't have the ability to put up 85 yeah. on a regular basis. Do it. Yeah. Not even not possible, not in the realm of possibility. So I said it last night. I, I was like at 49 to what was it, Dave? 49 to 31 at the half. Yeah. Uh, the game was over. What yeah. the game was over. There, there was is there no a common thread between that and the Maryland game? Because that was another game that we talked about that they had the chance to win. It was important to win. Almost a must win. But, you know, that sort of flavor of game. They dropped that one as well. Uh, come back and win the Northwestern one. Is there a common thread throughout these three games or the two losses? Um. Honestly, I think they were all pretty different, right? Okay. You look at the Maryland game, and the Maryland game was that slog. The Maryland game was the, you know, this is a this is a rock fight, and that's what Penn State wants. Um, the, in that game, Penn State did not make the shots that it needed to. Penn State gave the wall the ball away. So if you are going to make a link, it's probably the turnovers. Um, but uh, Maryland used some creative defense that Penn State hadn't seen before, and Penn State did not respond well to that. Northwestern. You know, I mean, that's just a, a classic Penn State win under Michael Shrewsbury in year one. Low scoring, you know, get it done. But, yeah, I don't know. Um, the, 
it, it was it was uncharacteristic. It, it, it's hard it's hard for me to even analyze because I've just never seen Penn State do that. They've never lost a game like that this year. So it's like what you know. I actually I kind of asked Micah Shrewsbury why did this game take this form, um, and you know he kind of blamed himself for his preparation, which. You know, I don't know. I don't know if he's just trying to give his players an out there or what, but um, we didn't really get an explanation for like tactically why this happened. So it's uh, I'm not sure. He he uh, repeated something that he said in their loss at Minnesota, which was they played horse. Right. And so <laughs> playing horse is just going down the floor and not playing defense. There's there's no resistance. And whereas, and, and I mean, there was a, a commonality there. Uh, I don't have the numbers directly in front of me, but Nebraska's field goal percentage last night was the highest of any opponent that Penn State has played this season, right? So that's number one is like, even on air, right? College basketball players make four and a half out of 10, right? Like on air, uh, they made 58% of the shots last night. And for most of the game, it was closer to 60. Like it was 60, yeah. 62. So like there was an element. Yeah. There, like there was an element of Minnesota or uh, Nebraska was just awesome. Like they were just hot offensively. Um, but then there was the other element of like Penn state kind of kept pace in the Minnesota game and did not keep pace in the slightest last night. Uh, against Nebraska. And so it was, I think, a disappointment from the end of they didn't do any of the things like, I, I'm sorry, like good on Micah Shrewsbury for trying to take one for the team, but like there's yeah. no chance that they didn't know what was coming. They just had no answer for it. Like they had no ability to execute what they needed to do. Like their one lifeline to stopping what, like it's not like, it's not like Nebraska did anything differently from what its identity is last night. Like th this is the same Nebraska style as Nebraska has been playing all year. Penn state just had no answer for what that was. Oh, we got to wrap up here. Oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Give, give us the stat. Give us the stat. Uh, Penn state has allowed its opponents to shoot 42.9% or better nine times this season. You want to know what the record is in those games? Oh, and nine. Oh, and nine. <laughs> there you go so so it's one it's one way or if that's it quickly our winner today yeah. he played to win the game and he won the game Boo. so there's dave Boo. uh last thing and i know we we, we got to wrap up here so i apologize i know i keep saying that and then asking you guys questions but is this season when you look back at it now as we're, we're hitting the end of penn state basketball with this mini slump when there was some stuff on the table is this within the realms of what we expected from Penn State basketball, or did that kind of run in uh, January, February, give you some hope to change your expectations of what this team was capable of down the stretch? So how do you kind of square what happened over the last couple of weeks with what you expected at the beginning of the season? Uh, Nate, we'll go to you first. I mean, I think it's I think it's already beyond probably what the expectation is. I, I think they, you know, look, they were expected to win – um, I don't know, 12 to 14 games probably. And they lost three of them. Like they didn't get to play them, which is like, there's no simple answers, right? Like th there are all of these areas of gray. And so by not playing those three games due to COVID, it turned out that they got a lot better, like as a team. I mean, there was a, a mm -hmm. pronounced yeah. difference in the team that showed up in January versus the one that uh, I think their last game before the break was getting crushed by Michigan state. And so, yeah, like on the one hand that ended up working out to their favor and that they were a lot more prepared to be competitive and won more games in January than anyone possibly would have predicted based on how they played at the start of the season. But on the other hand, they're going to finish the season. With, what are they at now, Dave, 12 and 13, 14, 12 and 14, 12 and 14. Yeah. 12 and 14. So now they're 12 and 14 and might not have another win out there. And so, right, like now now you're 12 and 17 at the end of the season, which will seem to be below expectations, but it's probably more like right on expectations. Dave? Um, but yeah, probably a little bit of a missed opportunity. What about you? Your thoughts on where this lands them on your season expectations? 
Yeah, I think that they're probably at like the upper end of it, right? Um, you know, if you told me they win seven seven Big Ten games before the season, I would not have believed you. Like that's kind of where I'm at. But um, you know, they did have a bad non conference loss to UMass. Um, probably should have beat Miami. It, you know, so the the non conference edge of things kind of like sways it a little bit. But I think as far as how they've played in the Big Ten, they've been fine. They've been pretty good. Look. Uh, Penn State has won eight or more Big Ten games in 30 years of Big Ten play, like, I think, like, six or seven times, you know, and they're at seven. So if they get one more, you know, like, they're they're reaching uh, a platform that they, like, almost never get to. <laughs> so certainly, uh, given the exodus, given that they lost probably, I don't know, three or their four, four of their five best players in the off season. I think, I think what they've done is fine. Um, to be honest, uh, I think it's probably they're better than I thought they would be better than I thought we would be here on the BWI live show. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. I'm just kidding. You guys are excellent. I love doing the show with you guys. I even kept you an extra four minutes. So thank you very much for that. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you're listening to this on a delay on the replay, and if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you like subscribe and hit the notification button. We will be back next week, except for Nate. Nate has this weird idea that he doesn't have to work every single day of his life, which I don't understand. He's going on vacation. So, We'll find somebody to fill in for Nate, but we'll be back next week. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. We'll talk to you then. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.